Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We just form a fucking wall. O'Neal deep on the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace! What a jump ball! This team's down four, 12 8, 7 38 to play the first half. First from Rodney, stuck into the rim! Reggie inside for Andre, and a dynamite dunk! Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, where, once again, we will find something to talk about with the Pistons here in the doldrums of February that we were a little weary about in uh, December. Um, But, nevertheless... Uh, we are back to talk about the Detroit Pistons, myself, Mike Angolano, and as always, well, not as always, because last week I wasn't, but uh, joined once again by Aaron Johnson. Aaron, how are you doing? How was your week off? You know, I'm doing good. Um, I was a little worried that people were going to request that Jasper permanently overtake me on the podcast with how well you guys did in my absence. Um, but I'm very thankful that I'm allowed to be back on the show. It's very kind of you to let me back on. Um and, you know, I'm ready for the discussion we're going to have today. We're going to go into a little bit more of a philosophical talk about the Pistons, and it's not going to be the normal podcast format that we go with. So I'm still excited to, to get into it and, and talk about what we're going to get into. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes. Yeah, so as as Aaron said, you know, we're going to make this more of a more of an open, open floor discussion. I'm um, going to have some Pistons talk, going to have some non-Pistons talk as well, but it's all going to relate back to Detroit and the rebuild and the growth and things to look for. So um, hopefully this will be a little bit, a little bit different of a, of a podcast. We normally have a set of topics and we hit through them and um, you know, it's a lot easy for, for a host uh, to do it, but we will see how, uh, how this how this goes. I'm, I am also looking forward to it. So I think a good jumping off point is the core. Um, and in a way, relating it to some of the other teams across the NBA and their young core and how they have worked with that young core or not worked with that young core and the repercussions. So, you know, are we like a quarter of the way through the season now? Well, let's see. The Pistons have a record currently of five and sixteen, so they're twenty-one games in, and they're playing a seventy. What are they playing this year? Is it seventy? Seventy-two. Seventy-two. So, you know, I'm not very good at math, but it seems like a little more than a quarter. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but you know, it's, yeah, they're a quarter, you know, a little bit over a quarter way through the season, so we kind of know what we know about this group, you know, these guys that have been healthy and played. So a lot of, you know, essentially everyone outside of Killian Hayes, we know what they are right now. Um, uh-huh. You know, Jeremy Grant has kind of solidified himself as a consistent top level scoring threat, uh, offensive weapon for this team. You know, I, I think Blake's Blake Griffin's productive days, look to be behind him. It hasn't really gotten better for him this year. There've been glimpses here and there, but he's always come back down and, you know, followed a, a good game up with a poor game. But, you know, we've, we've played enough basketball to where we kind of know what this team is now at this point in the year. 
Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And it really is just super unfortunate that we don't have Hayes to talk about because we, we probably could muster together a podcast uh, just talking about Hayes and comparing him to, you know, other rookies and comparing him to past point guard rookies and, and, and whatnot, but be a little bit more difficult this time. Um, so why don't, why don't we start with that young core? Um, what, what do you think about this young core and sort of in relation to other teams that are rebuilding? It's a little bit, it's a little bit different because the Pistons are so, so early in the, you know, a rebuild that it's kind of tough to compare them to other teams since there's not a lot of other teams that are so, so new into the rebuild, but um, do you have any teams that sort of, uh, you know, compare or have compared in the past two or so years to what the Pistons are going through? Well, I think when we look at, when you look at this core, the difference between them and say, a team like Atlanta or New Orleans or even Oklahoma City, you know, all of them have a player that they know that they're building around. Obviously, Trey Young in Atlanta, Zion Williamson in New Orleans, and Shea Gilgis Alexander in Oklahoma City. Detroit, they have some young pieces. They have multiple young pieces, but I don't think they truly know if they're building around, say, Kudumboya or they're building around Killianese. I think right now they're building with them. I don't think they have a guy that they're building around, a guy that they feel is the star. That's not to say that Killian Hayes or, say, Kudumboya couldn't eventually become that. But I think right now Detroit lacks a true, you know, true prospect that is an obvious guy that they're building around, whereas there are other teams throughout the league have that guy that they're young and they're building around. They're adding pieces. They're drafting supporting pieces to that player. Um, I think Detroit is kind of in a situation like Charlotte, where Charlotte now has LaMelo Ball. That's a guy that they're going to be building around. But last year when they had Devontae Graham and they had P.J. Washington and those were their two main young guys. You know, this this is a this is where Detroit is at. That's not to say that Devontae Graham and PJ Washington don't have futures with the Hornets. They probably do. I think if you're Charlotte, you're probably taking Devontae Graham and LaMelo Ball as your two guards moving forward. And that kind of makes Terry Rozier the outsider looking in. At least that's what I would do in my opinion if I was Charlotte. I think PJ Washington as a combo four five has a future in Charlotte. You know, you look at their big man spot and right now he's their best prospect at those two positions. Um, but Detroit is kind of in that situation of Charlotte last year where Devonte Graham is a good player, just like, you know, Sekou does some nice things or Josh Jackson does some nice things or Sadiq Bey does some nice things, but he's not a guy you're building around. Right. So I, I think that's where I would compare Detroit to. Now, to compare them to your Cleveland Cavaliers, Mike, I think you can also look at it as in the sense of last year with Cleveland. They had Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and they were building with those two. But this year, it it's showing that they can build around 
Colin Sexton and even Darius Garland, but Colin Sexton has taken that step to where he spent his first two seasons in the league and, you know, didn't blow expectations out of the water, didn't come out and play super stellar basketball. He had a lot of question marks surrounding him, but now he's come out this season in his third year and he's really produced and shown that he is capable and worthy of being built around in Cleveland. So I think Detroit's kind of in that first step when you're starting a rebuild without a top pick and without a top, top prospect where you kind of have to figure out who are those kind of guys that you can build with and do you have someone yet that you can build around? I think Detroit is in that process of figuring out where they are in terms of having that guy or figuring out if they still need that guy. Now, the Cavs are a really good comparison because they had, you know, you had an incoming veteran power forward who was a holdover from the previous quote unquote era. You know, the, Pistons era is just kind of blended. I mean, they got Blake Griffin and they had Drummond and they had Reggie Jackson thought, Oh, okay. Here is the new playoff era for the next couple of years. And then it sort of fell apart. So the era is just kind of blended, but nevertheless, I could say that this is the first season of the new era where you are sort of the changing of the guard and you have a power forward in Blake Griffin and much like the Cavs had a power forward with Kevin Love and, you know, drafted a rookie point guard almost at the same spot in the draft. Not not quite. Hayes was a little bit higher. Um, and you have all these sort of scrappy pieces um, around um, and seeing what sticks and what fits. And, you know, we've talked about this with Hayes in the past as he's struggled in the early parts of the season before getting injured. You have to have a level of trust with a rookie point guard. And Colin Sexton and to a lesser degree, Darius Garland are prime examples of being patient and having good coaching. Um, this could lead into a discussion of is Dwayne Casey going to stick around <laughs> or, uh, I mean, is he, is he going to be the coach to, you know, lead these guys forward? You know, we saw that Ty Lue was not, we saw that Larry Drew was not, we saw that John Beeline was not, um, but JB Bickerstaff is. So, you know, there might be a coach coming the Pistons way that, just sort of fits the roster better but yeah Cleveland is a really good example and that's interesting how you feel about Devontae Graham and and uh Miles Bridges I think also fits that eh, sort of role I mean I I see Hornets fans on Twitter that are you know that were enamored with him that now just call him like a super ferocious dunker and that's about it so he he could be another guy that's like kind of a eh, you know in or out sort of prospect but I I agree on PJ Washington and I, I don't have Devontae Graham's contract situation up right now, but if I recall, I think he was staring at some money that maybe maybe the Hornets were not very interested in, in going after. It sort of depends on where their pick is at, too, in the upcoming draft. But yeah, Charlotte's good. I mean, it's, Atlanta is a good one as well. But, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of Trey Young. We saw a lot of him the rookie year, not seeing a whole lot of Hayes. But, you know, I guess there are some similarities there. Um, trying to think back to De'Aaron Fox on Sacramento as well. I don't even remember what that roster looked like to be, to be perfectly honest, but there is, there is a lot of comparison stuff. And, you know, I'm actually working on a piece for name drop, working on a piece for fear of the sword. Now that's all about the casualties of a rebuild. Um, how some of these guys that you draft are, you know, are probably not all going to be there. 
when you are ready to compete. And I was alluding to Kevin Porter Jr. for the Cavs, who they shipped him off to Houston for basically nothing. I mean, a, a pick that's never going to convey. And, you know, it got me thinking about what other teams have had casualties of their rebuild. Um, Porter is, is one to me. I mean, there are a lot of people in Cavs fandom very upset that Kevin Porter Jr. was was traded away. And it's hard to speculate who could be a casualty of the rebuild here in Detroit, but you, you sort of know what I'm getting at. Like there's just some players that you draft and maybe you like a lot and that just don't fit, that just don't, whether it's from a, you know, from a camaraderie standpoint to it doesn't fit the, the mold of what player they need sort of standpoint. I think, I think you could kind of start to paint that picture with say Kudumboya. I mean, in all honesty, you know, it's a new regime that has drafted a lot of guys and brought in a lot of guys to this roster. Troy Weaver did not draft say Kudumboya. He has no loyalty to him in that regard. And, I mean, let's face it, the Pistons haven't made it easy on Sekou in terms of giving him all the opportunity in the world. Uh, you know, they've certainly put guys like Isaiah Stewart in a better position to succeed. And Killian Hayes, when he was healthy, was given the reins right away. Or Sekou has really had to kind of earn his earn his keep. Um so I think that's I'm not saying that that is the case, but it it certainly might be. I mean, it's something that the that Pistons fans would have to pre- could prepare for. You know, it it kind of falls in that same ilk of maybe this guy just isn't going to be here in a couple of years. Maybe there is a different future for him. And we obviously saw that with Kevin Porter Jr. in Cleveland. It's funny because you mentioned that there were a lot of Cavs fans upset about. The Cavs, get, the Cavs getting rid of and trading Kevin Porter Jr. Well, there were a lot of Pistons fans that were mad that the Pistons traded Kevin Porter Jr. or the rights to draft Kevin Porter Jr. to the Cavs back on draft night uh, in twenty in the 2019 NBA draft. Or 20, oh, my gosh, what year is it, 2020? I'm, that's how weird it's been. I can't even keep track <laughs> of the years of the draft. But um, it have been 2019. 2019. So, you know, I think – it kind of in that same regard, the Pistons could be looking at that with someone like a say Kudumboya, or maybe it's someone like Josh Jackson, who yes, Detroit didn't draft, but was a young piece that they brought in and is playing well. While he's only on a two-year deal, he may want more money after next season. If he continues to perform at the level he's performing at, there could be a team that's willing to pay him more that Detroit's looking to hold on to. And Josh Jackson is a hometown kid who looks to be finding his footing with his hometown team that would really upset some Pistons fans. Yeah. And that's a very good example. Sekou is, you know, I think we've tried to tiptoe around the last couple of podcasts of like, we just need to be patient. You know, this is Dwayne Casey's methodology for young guys and, and, you know, they need to earn their keep and things like that. You know, and, and we don't know how some of these players are practicing. Maybe they're not earning their minutes on, on the practice court and they're not going to earn it in game. You know, Markel Fultz is another one that I sort of think of as just a casualty of the rebuild. I mean, they they were very clear. They being Sixers were obviously they were ready to win. You know, they had Simmons, they had Embiid, they had these pieces that you know it start. They started to put it together like, oh wow, we could be good. We could be really good. And you know, they had to move him. It just wasn't working. And that's to me is like the quintessential casualty of 
um, a rebuild. And, and there's a lot of examples, um, but Seku is a very interesting one. So, you know, I saw another article today about Blake Griffin being washed and how sad it was to see him be washed on a, on a bad team that, you know, was at the bottom of the conference and the bottom of the league. And Dumboya kind of seems like the kind of player that if Troy Weaver doesn't want him anymore, just says, you know, this is not the guy that I drafted and, you know, I want to move on from that. He seems like a guy that you would attach to a Blake Griffin trade. You know, he's got the potential. He's got the intangibles as draft scouts like to say. He's got all the intangibles. They like to say with quarterbacks a lot. This, I remember Deshaun Kaiser having just all the intangibles at Notre Dame and me thinking, oh, great. That almost means nothing if, if you know, he doesn't have the skills. But he's got all the intangibles. That's, that's like an un, unmolded clay that a team could work with and you could send in there with Griffin as compensation for taking on a hideous contract. Um, have, have your thoughts on Blake changed at all in the last, the last little bit? He, he did have a pretty okay game against the Lakers uh, in a stunning Pistons victory. Yeah, it just kind of, like I said earlier, it kind of goes and comes and goes with him. There's a game where he plays really well, and then he has the performance that he did last night against the Jazz where, you know, he's shooting 30% from the floor, and tear, you know, scoring 11 points in 30 minutes and tearing his jersey off himself. Um, so, I still think that you know there's a place to keep Griffin with this team and allow him to be that veteran that sticks around. But it's getting tougher and tougher to envision that really being possible when he's just he's playing big minutes. He's playing a big offensive role in which his you know he's touching the ball a lot. And the, the results are just not good. Um, and again, he gets in the way of forwards on the Pistons roster that need to be playing. You know, whether that's Seku playing the four or Jeremy Grant sliding up to the four and Seku playing the three or Sadiq Bey playing the three or Josh Jackson getting even more minutes. Um, you know, there's there's just that factor as well with it. And, you know, something that is talked about in a rebuild a lot nowadays is having veterans to support your rebuild. And I think that is very, very important. That is something that I am 100% bought into. And that is the role that would have been preferential for Blake Griffin. But if he's going to get the usage that he's gotten this season, he's going to command the ball, the shots that he has this season. It's just not going to work. You have other guys on your roster. Wayne Ellington, Rodney Magruder, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, Delon Wright. Those guys that don't cost as much money or are more productive than Blake Griffin. You know, I don't know how Detroit gets out of his contract now without giving up an asset. That was something we talked about prior to the season beginning was you know, can Detroit try to get an asset for Blake Griffin? Or or are they going to play him to try to show he's worth an asset? And they played him, and I'm not, you know, we don't know if they're trying to play him to show others that he's worth an asset. But uh, this season has shown that the Pistons would have to give up assets to move off of Blake Griffin, not vice versa. Um, so that's how the Blake Griffin experience has been this season. And it makes it harder and harder for us to be able to envision what the Pistons can look like when there's just a roadblock in the way. 
that's what Griffin really is right now, unfortunately, uh, with his injuries. And he's just not the same player. It's been just a completely different version of Blake Griffin. And all of the talk is that he's healthy. You know, he's he's healthy. His legs are healthy. But he's and he's still just not playing well. So it's getting harder and harder to make Blake Griffin work in Detroit. Yeah, still just apparent, and it's 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 kind of hard to watch. Uh, if you're a big fan of Blake Griffin, like you know, I was never the you know a huge huge fan, just because. I wasn't, you know, the biggest watcher Western Conference basketball for a lot of those years. But, um, you know, to see a star sort of fade on a bad team, it's just hard to watch. But it's a nice little segue into our next sort of (laughs) – it's like our pseudo topic here. You know, we're kind of moving into trades because there was some some breaking news during a podcast last week, which that was – that's always been my goal is to have like some big news piece break – and suddenly we have to change direction during a pot. I don't know why. I just always found that very, very interesting. And it wasn't huge news, but it's that the Knicks and the Clippers were interested in Derrick Rose. Every single potential playoff team should be trying to figure out how to get Wayne Ellington right now um, as well. Rose did not play yesterday either. Um, a little bit strange. Dwayne Casey, I believe, said he had a stomach ache, like an upset stomach or something along those lines. So that was a little bit strange. But, you know, aside from Blake because I don't know that there's a trade that exists right now for him and his knees. And let's just take out Derek Rose. Um, well, I guess we can actually keep him because um, there's only the, the two teams that I saw, which guys, uh, you know, are, are most likely to be shipped out of here. You know, because Ellington's got to be near the top of that list now, just based on how he's been playing. It, it seems inevitable that you know, he's going to get moved and that one year contract looks like it's going to be a bargain for some other team. Yeah, he's he's definitely at the top of the list. I mean, you're talking about a guy that at you know, his age is at 33 years old playing really good basketball, shooting just about 50% from the three-point line. I mean, he's been a double-digit scorer for Detroit uh outside of the last two games where he's kind of seemingly come back down to earth a little bit. Uh and he struggled, but before that he was just torching everyone nightly and um you know, he's had a rough last couple of games, but before that, you know, he was on a tear, 24 points per game, a couple 20 points per game nights. Um, he is a, a, a guy that is going to really help a playoff team. Uh, a, a marksman of a shooter. A, he's not a, he's not a plus defender, but he's not going to absolutely kill you. And his floor gravity is going to really help a team that lacks shooting. You give him to a roster that is, you know, capable of competing, and he's going to play a role. Uh, that's a guy that should command an asset, and that's something that I was talking about with some others. Was what asset is Wayne Ellington worth? Is he worth a late first round pick to a playoff team, or is he worth, you know, a pair of seconds? Um, I, I think Detroit's going to be able to get something positive for him that maybe they weren't really anticipating because he's come out and played very, very well uh, outside of Ellington and Derek Rose. I'm not sure if there's really anyone else that has a major chance of being moved. 
I don't think anyone is talking themselves into Mason Plumley or Delon Wright. Obviously, Jeremy Grant is worth a heck of a lot more than people maybe perceived he would be, myself included, when Detroit signed him. And the thought was, oh, maybe they can flip him down the line because this is he's become a player that's worth a lot more than you know what teams are probably likely going to be able to give up. I think your two main trade candidate candidates are Wayne Ellington and Derrick Rose. If I had to rank a third guy uh, after them, and again, I'm going to not include Blake Griffin, uh, I'm going to say it's maybe Jaleel Okafor, a guy that's not really getting minutes in Detroit. He's been pushed out of the rotation in favor of Isaiah Stewart. And Okafor's deal, you know, it's a two-year deal. It's not big money uh, and he's 25 years old i'm not saying he's going to come in and you know swing a, a swing a team's season or anything like that but there's probably going to be a team looking for a backup center and if detroit just wants to get rid of okafor maybe get someone on an expiring contract to open up a little bit of money uh, for the off season that's an easy way that they could do that uh, but again, I don't think there's a very high chance of Okafor being dealt either. So it's very, very interesting about Okafor because um, that's that's a good point. I, I actually kind of forgot about him. I, I've been on Isaiah Stewart overdrive because he just fits exactly what Pistons fans love and you know, fits, fits a pretty good role uh, for the team in general. But I wanted to circle back to Wayne Ellington a little bit. So I, I've got up here the three-point shooting rankings by team, and I just wanted to give you a little bit of a short quiz to see if you know who who the five worst three-point shooting teams are in the league. And all you know, a, a handful of these teams could definitely use Wayne Ellington. Could definitely. Some of them are teams that we have predicted to go to the playoffs. So, who is the worst the worst three-point shooting team? Oh man. Um, geez. Okay. Where's three point shooting team. You got to give me like a second here to try to figure this out. I'm trying to think. That's fine. Think about it. Teams that lack shooting. Um, or that are underachieving majorly. They're underachieving. Okay. That's a good hint. That's a good hint. Um, at least I think they're underachieving. I'm going to go with the Phoenix suns. Phoenix is 19th. Okay. They're 19th in three-point shooting. Okay. They're Pretty actually good, one spot above the Pistons. The Pistons are 20th. Hmm. Is it Milwaukee? So the Bucks are – no, the Bucks are fourth. They are shooting 30, 30 – I just lost – 39.8% from deep. I'll give you one more, and then I'll just, I'll just tell you. All right, my last guess. The last guess. You said this is a playoff playoff level team. This is a team that was in the bubble last year. Okay. Um, how about Portland? Portland um, is a really good guess. And if this was just field goal percentage, uh, Portland is actually 26th in field goal percentage. I think they're a little bit better than three points. Yeah, they're they're. Uh, oh, I just had the wrong stat. They are. Uh, 
surprisingly, they're first in three-point attempts, which I guess that makes sense when you have the team and, you know, the two guys that they do. No, they're eighth in three-point shooting percentage. Three-point percentage, the worst team in the whole league at three-point percentage is Dallas. 32.8%. That is pitiful. You know, I'm not surprised by that answer. Uh, I think with the loss of Seth Curry, you know, that's certainly obviously a guy that provides a lot to them in terms of being able to spread the floor. Uh, the gravity that he brought for Luka Doncic. And Doncic has also had some games in a stretch here where he's really struggled to shoot the ball. Uh, so I'm not surprised by that answer whatsoever, uh, to be completely honest with you. Probably one I should have thought about. Yeah, they are. I was just listening to, I don't, I don't like to name drop other pods because ours is obviously the best one, but the low post podcast was talking about this yesterday, or maybe the podcast before with Tim McMahon about just how underperforming they are. And they are a team that, you know, they kind of have to make a decision. I think they're eight and 13. If they want to go for it, that's, you know, getting Ellington is a guy that I think makes a lot of sense, but it's more that Josh Richardson just is not replacing Seth Curry. You know, defensively, he certainly will, but from sh- from a shooting perspective, it's hard it's hard to replace that. Um, the other teams are, that are in the bottom are some ones that you would expect. The Orlando Magic are 25th, the Thunder are 26th, the Knicks. I'm sorry, the Knicks are 26, the Thunder are 27, the Pelicans are 28, the Timberwolves are 29. Um, that's interesting that the Pelicans would, all, you know, would also be in that boat since they're looking to get rid of J.J. Redick. Um, but in- interestingly, if I had opened this up, the Miami Heat are 24th. Um, that would have been a dead giveaway if I said the Eastern Conference champions from last year were 24th and three-point percentage, especially with Duncan Robinson, but they've been pretty ravaged by the health and safety protocols. So, you know, those are some of, you know, those, those are the bottom feeding teams that could certainly use a little punch from deep and, and should be looking at Wayne Ellington. You had mentioned the Suns. The Suns are 19th. Um, they, they actually, I, I believe they just beat the Mavericks back to back playing pretty well. And it's, I actually like to see them playing well, but those are all teams I think could use Ellington. And then Derek Rose, you know, Jasper and I talked a little bit about it last week with the Clippers and the Knicks. What, what do you make of uh, the Clippers and Knicks potentially looking at Derrick Rose? I guess the Knicks make sense because the Tom Thibodeau connection. And what about the, what about the Clippers? Yeah. I mean, the Knicks make sense, but I would, I would hope slash imagine that that's in a bench role for Derrick Rose in that regards. They have a manual quickly who, has been coming off the bench for them, but just been playing incredibly well. A rookie point guard uh, that has just really taken, I really taken the league by storm, and with how well he's come out and played consistently. Um, but the Clippers, well, I don't know if they just have a fascination with Pistons guards, but they, I mean, they a competing team could always use a player like Derrick Rose. He can collapse defenses. He's good at getting to the rim. Um, but he's just not going to help them defensively whatsoever. The Clippers have had some injury issues. You know, Patrick Beverly has missed a couple of games. And you know, do they trust Reggie Jackson as their backup point guard? Um, oh. You know, so they have to kind of figure that out. But what do the Clippers really have that 
makes the Pistons enter trade discussions with them. You know, I mean, they're return not... of Reggie Jackson, <laughs> right? It's like they don't have a bunch of assets just you know sitting there waiting to be used. Uh, they lost a lot of those assets, and you know, Detroit. I would hope is looking to get value for Derrick Rose because as much as people on Pistons Twitter, you know, dislike Derrick Rose, he still does have value. He still does do good things on the court uh, to where the Pistons should be able to get some form of asset in return for him. Yeah. I think the Clippers make sense. And I, and I didn't put this together last week, but you know, Ty Lue did coach. Derek Rose for like 20 games or something. I'm wondering if that had any impact on, on that, on that interest to go and get him. I guess it's a little bit of a background on, um, on Rose. And he had that weird absence with the Cavs and uh, Lou had um, defended that, I believe. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, and the Clippers defensively have not really been that tremendous this year. They've been shooting, the lights out. I mean, you want to, you know, we just talked about the worst three point shooting teams. The Clippers are shooting almost 42% from three. They lead the NBA. They're, they're just a percent and a half ahead of the team. They lost to yesterday in the Brooklyn Nets. And surprisingly, the jazz are right there too. You know, the Clippers have been shooting the heck out of the ball offensively haven't been that good. So, but I think they do need that secondary ball handler. I think they wanted it to be Luke Kennard to, sort of do that a little bit more and the injuries have sort of delayed that um, as well. You know, another team that, you know, could look at Wayne Ellington and just to throw in my Cavs fandom here that we're looking at Andre Drummond is the Toronto Raptors. They are uh, near the bottom in field goal percentage, I believe. Yeah. They're 27th in the league in field goal percentage at nine and 12 Portland is 26th at at 44% as well. So, you know, a couple of teams that are, are playoff squads that are just not really shooting the ball that well. So let's uh, go into our next little pseudo topic again and talk a little bit about the NBA bubble, because as I was thinking about this, you know, the Raptors were a team that lost in the bubble, the Blazers lost in the bubble and they barely made it over the Memphis Grizzlies. Do you think that bubble play has had any impact on the play that's happening this season? Cause we're seeing a lot of teams just kind of play well. And you didn't really think that they'd play well. Like for example, the Cavs are outperforming expectations. The Knicks are outperforming expectations. Um, Sacramento has been kind of hot as of late, you know, they're, they're up to nine and 11. The bulls are eight and 11 and actually playing a little bit better. And they're a top 10 team in shooting this year. The wizards are terrible, but, you know, surprisingly, they're 12th in the shooting. Do you think that the the bubble has had any impact on kind of a scatterdy, weird uh, um, s- sort of play for teams? I think, you know, it has been weird because you've seen teams like the Lakers and the Clippers that went deep into it and even Denver that went deep into the bubble. You know, they've all played, you know, very well, but they're just kind of that upper echelon of teams while – other teams that played in the bubble, like Miami, have really struggled this year in, in Orlando. And obviously Miami, you mentioned, has really been bitten with the health and safety protocols issue, losing guys like Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, um, you know, among some others. You know, that's really hurt them. And they are Toronto, 
another team uh, that has really struggled this season. They're getting better. You know, things are kind of turning around for them, but it's taken time. I think you almost would have thought of it as those teams that played in the bubble would have came out better since they were the ones that got to play organized basketball recently. Uh, but that's what I thought. Right. And, and that hasn't fully been the case this year. Whereas some of these teams that didn't play in the bubble are playing better basketball. And, and that's not Detroit in this case whatsoever. <laughs> but, you know, you look at some of the other teams like in Atlanta, like Cleveland, that are right around 500, they're in the playoff picture, those teams for some reason are playing better. And maybe it's just because their legs are fresher. Maybe there wasn't enough time out out of the bubble to rest up for for some of these players and for some of these teams. But, you know, that's kind of an interesting study. But I'm not sure if there's a clear-cut correlation yet because you see it kind of on both sides of the spectrum. Well, some of the teams that played are – playing well and some of the teams that played aren't playing very well and some of the teams that weren't in the bubble are playing well and some of the teams that didn't get to play in the bubble are playing very bad like the Pistons uh so it's an interesting thing to talk about and I think it shows how important depth is I mean you look at teams like the Clippers and the Lakers those are teams that have a lot of depth that's helped them be able to to win games and you know obviously key guys have stayed pretty much healthy for them. But Paul George has missed a couple of games. Kawhi Leonard has missed at least a game. Uh, I, you know, so they're not, they're, their depth has really played a factor in this to where teams that are struggling like Miami, like Toronto, they don't have the depth that those Western conference powerhouses have had. That's, that's certainly had an effect in that regard. Yeah, it's just it's just an interesting study. I'm I'm looking at overall plus minus across the league, and just looking at some of these surprising teams that are hanging around near the top or even the middle. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies are plus one point three on the season, and Charlotte is fifteenth. They're just a hair under dead even, which I mean, got to include them as you know, as well as a non bubble team that's come out and played really well, and a lot of that's due to getting Gordon Hayward and getting LaMelo ball and just overall you know, playing a whole lot better, but it'll be very fascinating to see the impact of the bubble moving forward. Cause like you said, a lot of teams just playing really poorly. I mean, the Pistons are at, you know, minus 4.7 in the plus minus and they're above Miami, which yikes the heat are at minus five and a half. I mean, I don't think we're talking enough about just how, how ravaged they've been. And I've seen some people just say that, yeah, you know, they'll just brush it up with one of five game winning streak, six game winning streak once they're back and healthy and they'll be right back in the thick of things. And, you know, it's going to get late before it gets early too. And it's not, you know, it's not just going to go away once, once uh, you're, once you clear the health and safety protocols, there's still going to be lingering effects. There's still going to be lingering things to, to smooth out, but you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the teams, you know, speaking of the Hornets, Killian Hayes was a popular rookie of the year candidate just because he was going to get such a high volume of the offense, just a high usage percentage. And obviously that's not going to happen. He's not going to win it because he's hurt. But um, looking at some of these rookies that we've had and, and, you know, speaking of ball and James Wiseman just went down with an injury and, 
you know, Isaac Okoro has been playing well. Are there any rookies, like who, who do you think is right now in, in the running for rookie of the year? Well, I think obviously LaMelo Ball is a name that certainly belongs in that discussion. A guy that I mentioned earlier, Emmanuel Quickly, if he continues to have the season that he's having, certainly belongs in that conversation. And then James Wiseman has had his up and down games in Golden State. Anthony Edwards kind of in that same regard. I know he pretty recently went through a really rough scoring and shooting slump. Uh, but LaMelo Ball, I mean, I will... I will again admit where I'm wrong. I did not think he was going to come in and perform at this level right away, but he has played very, very well and should be at the top of that uh, rookie of the year talk conversation. I think behind him, Emmanuel click quickly deserves to be there. Uh, James Wiseman um, outside of that, you know, I think Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, very good. Very good. I definitely forgot about him. He's, and he's played well since the beginning. You know, he was yeah. from game one very much a factor in Sacramento. So he deserves to be in that conversation too. There's, you know, this rookie class was talked about as being weak. I don't think that's the case. There's been a lot of guys that have performed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Isaac Okoro, just to continue to pound the Cavs fandom until until you're just so tired of it. Has he he is so good? He's exactly what the Cavaliers have needed defending on the wing. I mean, he fits them just perfectly, like a glove. No, his offensive game is pretty, pretty you know rough, but defensively, you know, he knows how to play a pick and roll. And now you have Jared Allen, he knows how to play one. And I, I don't think I've seen the Cavs run an effective pick and roll defensively since I don't know, 2007 or eight, maybe. I mean, Anderson Verjao was, you know, was okay at playing the pick and roll. I mean, it's just crazy. So he's, he doesn't get the notoriety, but he is very, very good. Devin Vassell has been pretty good for the Spurs as well. That's such a Spursian player that it, it almost hurts my stomach because it just fit both him and Kelvin Johnson. Just, they're just such Spursy players that it, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I think Ball's got to be the the front runner. He is the big name, and he's also playing, you know, really well. Um, that can't be understated either. I and mean, he he's really playing quite well. Some of the passes he makes, the vision that he's got, it's it it all just looks so silky smooth, and that's just a sign of you know a guy who's playing a, a, above his years. And I'll eat crow just like I have for Jeremy Grant. You know, I I was not a believer in Ball, particularly his jumper. But it uh, has not been a factor yet. You know, they are 10 and 11 playing really well. Gordon Hayward's been playing super well, too. Um, I think he's got to be the front runner, especially now with Wiseman going down. But Anthony Edwards, something about the name Anthony and first overall picks, because Anthony Edwards was in Anthony Bennett territory when the season started. I saw a graph from NBA math where he was in the bottom left core. He was all, all alone in the TPA uh, chart, all by his lonesome. and it uh, sent shivers down my spine thinking of another Anthony pick number one overall, who was by far the worst rookie out of the whole class. Yeah. Edwards has not had the perfect rookie season. Um, he's not Anthony Bennett levels yet, but you know, he just hasn't, he's not played to the level that LaMelo ball has. And I thought that was going to be more of a conversation this year. I thought comparing those two was going to be uh, something that was, a little more prevalent, but right now balls just completely outperformed him. 
and and that's a lot of credit to LaMelo Ball because it's not like he was put in a super easy situation, two guards ahead of the, ahead of him in the rotation and the pecking order in terms of Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham, albeit that they play together on the court. LaMelo Ball got to come in and be the point guard of the second unit, but he's still come out and earned what he's gotten. You know, he's played very well. And, you know, for someone that was skeptical of him, he deserves to get that level of praise from me with the way that he's played. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I don't know what we're at in time here (laughs) with the podcast, but, you know, the Pistons are five and 16. They're just a hair uh, uh, behind the Wolves for worst record in the NBA. And that begs the question for me, considering some, you know, considering the assets that the Pistons have and the assets that the Wolves have and whatnot, some of these other low-end teams, is there an organization that is below the Pistons right now in terms of, uh, I guess, closest to competing? You know, is are, are the Pistons the rock bottom organization we're starting from scratch um organization i would say that it's probably them i would say detroit is detroit and new york maybe Uh, i you know i i don't think the knicks have outside of rj barrett you know and again i like emmanuel quickly but really outside of that they don't have much going for them julius randall is a fine player but you're not winning a title with Julius Randle being your number one or number two guy. Um, and outside of that, you know, it's kind of like Detroit. You're not winning a title with Jeremy Grant being your one or two guy. And, you know, yes, they have some nice young pieces to work with and develop, but neither of those teams have a young rising star. I think RJ Barrett's very good, right? I actually think he deserves more appreciation for the season he's had. Absolutely. But he's not a star yet. And I, I think, that the Knicks have, if you kind of going back to what we first talked about and what's something that I focused on was do the Pistons have a guy that they're building with or building around? I think RJ Barrett is a guy that the Knicks could build around. I don't, you know, the Pistons don't have a guy that they can build around right now. Sekou or Killian Hayes or someone else would have to step up and prove that they're worthy of that. I think RJ Barrett has shown that for the Knicks. I'd say Detroit is probably the furthest team in the league away from competing right now. I'd be interested to hear some opposing, you know, viewpoints, but it certainly does. I mean, even OKC, their team is bottom of the barrel, but they still have Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That's an all-star level guard that they have and an all-star level player to build around that's very young. And I get it outside of that. They're very thin. They have a couple other young pieces, but they also have a lot more assets to work with than Detroit does, which is something that needs to be considered as well. So I think Detroit certainly certainly sits right. Th- you know, if they're not if they're not the the team furthest away, they're right around that that category. You know, that right around that area. Right, and the Thunder have a dump truck of picks, which I was sort of considering in that. You know, in a few years, maybe like two, they will really be able to just trade for whatever star, whatever disgruntled star wants out, because they'll be able to throw all the first round picks necessary to go and get star X. But I'm looking at some of these teams here, and you know, I, I did forget about the Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards are at 4-13. and 13. They are below the Detroit Pistons. I apologize uh, for all the Pistons fans anxiously 
at my throat saying, we're not the worst team, we're the second worst team. <laughs> but, you know, the Wizards, I think, could easily be right down there if Bradley Beal decides that he wants to get out of there. And Minnesota is a really interesting one to me. I think you could make an argument, especially in the West, that the Timberwolves are farther away from making the playoffs than the Pistons are. A lot of things have to happen to get there. That, that'll be my spicy take. Anthony Edwards has been pretty up and down. He's starting to trend a little bit more upwards. But what if what if Carl Anthony Towns says, yeah, I think I want to get out of here? Oh, if if Cat leaves, they're done. because What happens? He is the only reason that Minnesota is above the Pistons in regards to that, you know? Now, granted, they would probably get a very good haul for Carl Anthony Towns. A lot of years left on the contract, very young. Um, but, man, that would just be brutal because, out, you know, looking at that roster right now, there's a lot of question mark level guys. I, I think Anthony Edwards is a question mark. Jerk Culver, who was so highly regarded coming into his rookie season, just hasn't really panned out yet. And that's not saying that he deserves to be given up on, given up on, because, you know, you don't give up on a player after one one or two seasons. It takes time. It's different for every player. But outside of, outside of that, you know, they don't have, you know, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, is he a guy you're winning a title with? Probably mm-hmm. not. No. Not for the money that he's going to command. Because you're going to pay no. him a large chunk of your salary. And... You know, he's just – he's a fine player. He's a good player. I like D'Angelo Russell, but he's not – he's not a guy that you're winning a title with as one of your main pieces. I agree. Um, I really do. And there's a lot of guys on that roster that are sort of like, eh, hasn't really lived up to the hype. I mean, Culver is super, super young. And I wanted Jerry Culver over Darius Garland. I thought Culver – sort of was going to be what Isaac Okoro was this year. You know, he, he, he was the wing that the Cavaliers needed, and he has not played well. Josh Okogi is basically an offensive black hole, and he's good on defense, which the Wolves need super badly, but offensively just a black hole. And Malik Beasley is, you know, he's, 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 he's good. And I think the trade that was made with the Nuggets, you know, I – believe he balled out right after that and of course the centerpiece of carl anthony townsend you know maybe it's just a trading or i'm sorry maybe it's just a changing of head coach i don't know how they particularly feel about ryan saunders but i think there is a case that can be made that the pistons are potentially how things fall you know above the wolves in terms of making the playoffs i mean they're the wolves are five and 15 their plus minus is minus 9.3 the Pistons are at minus 4.7. I mean, plus minus is not the end-all be-all stat, but that is like, that's pretty staggering that they are dead last. The Wolves are dead last at 30th. And same thing with the Washington Wizards. I mean, the Wizards are bad. And again, maybe I'm just terrible at basketball. I don't even know why I'm doing this podcast. I, I thought that the, that the Wizards would actually be fun, and they were fun when they beat the Nets. Westbrook and Beal going off, but the Wizards are terrible. Westbrook has been terrible. Beal has been awesome. And, you know, if Bradley Beal wants out, yeah, the Wizards will get a ton for him. But, how, I mean, how close are they going to be to uh, competing after that? Maybe I'm just trying to pump up Pistons fandom to say it's not as bad as it could be. you got some fun pieces that are playing well and a team that's obviously a lot better than their record is. 
you know, probably one or two wins at least better than their record is. Um, so just, just a little interesting thought exercise, you know, really hope the Wolves can pick it up because, uh, yeek, yeek. Aaron, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we uh, wrap up this random grab bag of a podcast? I think that's a perfect way to describe it. You know, there wasn't really, there's not, there wasn't really a whole lot of talk about in terms of what's going on in a daily basis of the Pistons. You know, obviously they had the Denver game canceled because of an inconclusive test. And, you know, we didn't have that game to talk about, which is kind of why we delayed this podcast into a little bit later into the week to have a couple more games go by to discuss, but a very uneventful game in Utah where Detroit was outclassed. And yes, they put on a comeback effort, but again, they ultimately fell short. Uh, you know, so I think this was just a fun approach, a different topic uh, that maybe you're not getting on every podcast right now. And, you know, I think it's it was a worthwhile conversation to have. I'm just glad we didn't mention Rodney Magruder. Oh, we just did. Never mind. Uh, um, I think I said earlier <laughs> in the podcast, too. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I said it one time earlier in the podcast. Oh, no. Okay. Well, you know, he was the talk of the NBA for about, you know, 17 to 20 minutes. And, you know, then it sort of fell apart. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Rodney Gruner. I don't know why he caught so many strays, but, uh, man, did he catch some strays from Golden State. Yeah, he did. And, like, I, 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 I mean, I, I like competitive talking. You know, I, I'll do it sure. when I play. I did it when I played. You know, obviously at a completely different level, nowhere near NBA level play, but it's always something that's been a part of the game at any level pick up you know right school high school whatever it's always a part of the game i think they went a little far with the whole he's gonna be out of the league you know he shouldn't even be here like i think that was a little you know that's just kind of like the unspoken like code of you know these guys are out here this is their job this is their livelihood but at the end of the day you know it's 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 part of the game uh i, I do feel bad for ronnie magruder though because he caught a lot of heat from them he did not deserve all that heat. And I don't know if Clay Thompson was just in a mood or whatever, but on the broadcast. I mean, let's face it, he did. Clay Thompson he, was very likely under the influence. I mean, allegedly, I, I'm not going to assume anything. I will assume nothing. But he was obviously on something or he heard something. And then Draymond Green just kind of picked up on it and said, sure, I'll just, I'll just egg him on even more. So shout out to Rodney Gruner. Ho- hopefully, uh, Hopefully things are a little bit better. It's all been blown over. So um, Aaron, if there's nothing else, um, I think, I think we are done here. I think we are. I think we are. Good show. Good show, Mike. Good show. Talk about random stuff. And this probably won't be the last random show because it's February folks. That means uh, it gets, it still gets dark about five fifteen Eastern standard time, maybe five thirty Eastern standard time. Um, not really any holidays look forward to. And uh, you know, Baseball is baseball, and that'll be here in a month, and I will get to ignore that once again. So uh, for my co-host, Aaron Johnson, I am Mike Angolano. Uh, we will be back next week, hopefully more Pistons things to talk about, and hopefully um, a couple of wins or at least some at least some solid play so that we can uh, move on from our Grab Peg podcast and actually give you Pistons talk. So we will see you again next week. Thank you all.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.